All right, if you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can do what Rose is doing, and you can pick up one on the back table there. Um, Feel free to grab a Bible. We'll be in the book of Luke in the New Testament, third book there of the New Testament, um, chapter 23. Some of the the most interesting movies or or books, movies that you see or books that you read, are those that, that tell about an event but do it sort of from different vantage points. And then you see one character and you get their sort of perspective on a specific event and then they'll switch to someone else and it's the same event but it's just told through this person's, uh, from this person's per- perspective. And then at the end sort of all those points of view can converge into, into one. And here in the book of Luke, Luke is doing something, as Luke is the author, is doing something very similar. He's describing the events that are leading up to Jesus' death and to his burial. And as he does that, he starts to highlight specific individuals that were a part of the events that happened that day. So we've seen some of those. We've seen the chief priests and the elders. They've sort of been ever-present in these final chapters of the book of Luke. They're a driving force that's sort of underneath the, the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. I think we often wonder why or how Jesus, who is so popular uh, amongst people, how does it come to the place that he is crucified as a criminal? How did that happen? And I think a lot of it has to do with the influence and the ingenuity of these religious leaders turning the crowd, taking control of a situation that they saw spinning out of their control. Last week we saw a couple other people. We saw Pilate. And Herod enter into this scene, these officials of the Roman government, and they are brought into the events. We're going to see more about Pilate's role um, in the death of Jesus. And we're also going to meet a convicted revolutionary and murderer who becomes a part of this story. Um, let's look ahead a little bit so you can kind of see where we're heading. Looking ahead next week, we'll, see, we'll meet a guy named Simon, a man of Cyrene, a man who was simply in the city at the time and suddenly is carrying Jesus' cross for him. Then in, in three weeks, we'll, we'll focus um, on the Mount of Crucifixion. And there, two other people are brought into the story. Two, two thieves who were crucified on either side of Jesus. And we see their perspective on all that was happening that day. Um, then just to give you a, a keep previewing here, but uh, my family and I will be out of town. And so we won't be in Luke, but we'll still be in the crucifixion. Jake's going to talk to us from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, in a sense, gives us the the emotions of Jesus on the cross. And then on the 20th, Joshua is going to preach for us from Isaiah 53, which sort of gives us the theology of what's going on on the cross. And then on the 27th, we will be in Luke 23 with the actual death of Jesus, the crucifixion. And then the first week in October, we'll meet another individual, Joseph of Arimathea, who steps into the story and is in charge of taking the body of Jesus and burying it. And so it's just interesting to see. I say all that to say, we're actually going to get to the end of Luke. This is going to happen. We've been in it for almost three years now, um, but it's slowly coming to a close. But also just so you can see what Luke is doing. He's highlighting all these specific individuals, and he's telling one big story, but from all these different perspectives. And so we get to, to see the, the way that he is doing this. As we look at the experiences of these individuals, we, we of course, can, we can see ourselves in them. I think that's the point. We can often wonder, how would we respond? What, what would you do if you were there in Jerusalem in these days? And in many ways, Luke gives us, the, gives us this wide array of characters 
to tell us how we might respond. This is what the gospel writers do. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they bring us face to, to face with who Jesus was, with, with what he did, with his life, with his death, with his resurrection. And they ask, what are you going to do with the man Christ Jesus? How are you going to respond to him? How will you respond to this innocent man who was crucified, dead, buried, and risen again? Of course, that's the ultimate question of life, isn't it? What, what, what do you do with the person of Jesus? What do you do when Jesus steps into your life and confronts you in your sin and in your rebellion? What do we do with Jesus? How do we respond? Well, let's read Luke 23, and we'll read verses 13 through 25, and maybe Pilate and, and this character Barabbas can help us think about how we might respond. Uh, we looked at some of this last week, and, and Pilate is going to summarize his verdict concerning Jesus, but we're going to also see the reaction of the crowd to that pronouncement. So follow along with me. I'm in Luke 23, beginning in verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man, speaking of Jesus, as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they, the crowd, all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. We emphasized last week that part of what Luke is trying to pull out here is that Jesus was innocent. And Pilate makes this judgment very, very plain. He says, I have found in this man no guilt deserving death. And then he says, I will punish him, therefore, and release him. Now, we should ask, why why that, Pilate? If, if he's innocent, why are you going to punish him? Um, this is probably referring to some sort of a light beating, some sort of, like, be careful thing, you know, to say to Jesus, you put yourself in a situation that caused you to be accused of this crime, and so next time you need to be a little bit more careful exercise some some judgment here and don't do that again it could be a more severe beating this would be the one that was given to individuals before they were crucified and often led to them not even being lifted up on a cross because the beating was so intense that they died because of that either way what it's revealing to us is that Pilate is committed to justice but he's also willing to appease the crowd he, he wants to do both he, he wants to do what is right, but he also wants everyone to, to like him. He talks about Jesus' innocence, but then he opens the door a crack, showing the crowd that, that he might be persuaded to condemn him. And the crowd sort of sees that crack and pushes against the door. They're going to have none of this punishing and releasing, it says. that they, they Rather, they cry out to Pilate. They say, away with this man. Get him out of our sight. 
and instead they want Pilate to release a man named Barabbas. Now, now some of your Bibles have a verse 17, and some of them do not have a verse 17. That is, is not an error in your uh, by the publisher, but rather this is a verse that's considered by some to be a later edition that was put in to make things clearer. The, the verse is simple. In the New American Standard Bible, it reads like this. Now, he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. That's a, a statement that's found in some of the other Gospels. Um, the, the clarity that that verse is meant to bring is to, to show why the crowd starts crying out for Barabbas. Otherwise, it doesn't really totally make sense unless you know that. There was some sort of tradition in Rome that they would release a prisoner during the feast of the Passover as a sort of gift to the Jewish people. So it's, it's like a peace offering. Every year, Rome would give one of the uh, prisoners that they chose um, to the Jewish people. And, and so Pilate, as we see more clearly in verse 20, he, he wants Jesus to be this prisoner. He wants to get out of this whole thing by saying, here, I, I release to you a prisoner every year. I'll release to you Jesus. But the crowd instead begins to cry out that they want Barabbas to be released. Barabbas, another figure brought into this unfolding story. Luke tells us briefly about this guy. He had been thrown into prison and he had two charges against him. The first was for insurrection, an insurrection that he started in the city. In other words, he had led a revolt or a rebellion against the Roman government. These things seem to have been common in Israel amongst pockets of the Jewish people that didn't like the Roman rule and so they would revolt. We studied some of this history and it gets bigger and and, and bolder as time goes on. It's ironic, though, isn't it, that this is the charge that they were trying to pin on Jesus. They were trying to say that he was some sort of a revolutionary that was declaring himself king, trying to overthrow the rule of Rome, stirring up some sort of rebellion. And here sits a man in prison who is actually accused and convicted and guilty of that crime. And now the crowd is calling for this man to be released. The second thing that he's accused of is of murder, that he has killed someone. It's hard to say why they chose Barabbas. I'm sure the chief priests and the the elders had something to do with that. It could be, though, that there were supporters of Barabbas in the crowd that day. They knew about this tradition, and they thought, let's go you know, on this day, and maybe we can get our friend Barabbas released as the guy um, that, that's released each year. It's hard to say exactly what was going on. But Pilate even sees through this. He's continually said that Jesus is innocent, and now they're calling for Barabbas. And so Pilate, in verse 20, once again, says he he addresses them once more. He wants to release Jesus. Um, The crowd will have nothing of it, though, do they? And this is the first time that we hear them cry out, crucify, crucify him. We'll see more about crucifixion in the coming days, but it's enough simply to say that this would be the most brutal way for someone to be executed. It was reserved only for the worst criminals, and now they are crying out that Jesus would be crucified. Pilate says a third time in verse 22, they're asking for them to crucify, for for Pilate to crucify Jesus, and he says, why? What evil has he done? Same thing. I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. Again, Jesus is, is pronounced innocent by the highest authority in that day. He says, I have found nothing deserving death. So he tries this whole, let me just give him a beating and then I'll release him. Will that appease the crowd? 
But the crowd is insistent. They shout louder and louder. They demand that Jesus be crucified. The Phillips translation puts it this way. But they shouted him down, yelling their demand that he should be crucified. Pilate asks the question, doesn't he? What evil has he done? But the crowd doesn't answer that question at all. They don't spell out the evil that he has done deserving death. They're done arguing about why Jesus should be condemned to death. The trial, this has not worked out. It didn't go the way that they wanted it to. And so now what they're hoping to do is is threaten a riot and that Pilate will do what they want because he doesn't want this riot to happen. So their goal is now to overpower Pilate by shouting. Why is this so difficult for Pilate? I mean, why doesn't he just stand his ground? He knows what's right. And we could write him off as a coward, but I think before we do that, we should sort of feel, think about being Pilate in this situation. He's pressed on all sides, as it were. His his sense of justice is, is continually assaulting his conscience. He knows what is right. We even see in the other Gospels that his wife is coming to him. His wife comes to him and she says, listen, I've had dreams about this guy. And you need to have nothing to do with him. Just release him. Don't have anything to do with this character. So he has that going on. He's tried to release Jesus. He's he's offered up the option of scourging and releasing him. He wants Jesus to be the, the one prisoner that's let go at the feast earlier. Remember, he just tried to get out of the situation, send him to Herod. Maybe Herod can take it, but Jesus gets sent back to Pilate once more. So we've got the voice of justice in his head, the voice of his wife, his own conscience. They're all screaming that he needs to release Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, the crowd is yelling. And all the shouts of the people of the crowd are representing his power and his position. Things are getting out of hand. And if he doesn't take care of this situation, if he doesn't figure out a way to to quell this riot, it's going to swell into a full-blown revolt. And if that happens... It could spell disaster for Pilate, for his whole political career, for everything that he's worked so hard to attain, for the position that that he has. Caesar doesn't talk here, but but his presence is felt. What would Caesar do if this major area of, of rule, if it gets out of control, and Pilate couldn't figure out a way to stop this whole thing? What's he going to do? We see the sad verdict, though, on, on Pilate's integrity. It's in verse 23. It simply says, and their voices prevail, the voice of the crowd. And verse 24 just simply says, Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. R.C. Sproul comments, he says, It was not the voice of truth or the voice of authority that prevailed, but the howl of hatred. Not just the howl of hatred, though, but it's, it's the cries of pride and power in Pilate's own heart. They won the day. In the end, he's willing to sacrifice an innocent man, so that he can keep his political position. So Pilate, I mean, Pilate surely wanted to be remembered for for greater things. But rather, how is Pilate most remembered? Pilate is most remembered in a creed, a creed that we we recited two weeks ago and that has been recited all around the world uh, today and will continue to be the Apostles' Creed. In there, there's a line that says about Jesus, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Isn't that interesting? That's how, that's how Pilate is immortalized. He wanted to be famous, but rather he is infamous. He's the man who gave in to the crowd, who condemned the innocent son of God to death. That's how Pilate is remembered. 
You know, it's not the force of this passage, I don't think, but Pilate is a lesson for us, isn't he, in the dangers of pride and selfishness, that rather than choosing what is right, he chose what was in his best interest. He was less concerned about doing what was right, and he was rather concerned about what was easiest and what he thought would be most advantageous for him. He sold his integrity for popularity. You could do that very easily. You could be just like Pilate. Verse 25 summarizes Pilate's actions, but it does so much more than that. Look at verse 25. He, Pilate, released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their wills, to their will. So we see Barabbas is released, and suddenly we're brought back into this man's life and into his experience. What was that day like for Barabbas? He's sitting in some Roman prison awaiting his sentence, which may have been death. Probably was. We don't know how long he's been there. I can't help but wonder if it's, you know, everything seems to be fairly close in proximity. Does he, does he hear the cries outside? Can he hear what's going on? And, and he hears this commotion. And then are people, are people saying his name? I mean, are his ears playing trick on him? They, they said, released to us, Barabbas. And he said, someone calling me? If he thought that he heard his name, then the next thing that he heard would have been crucify him, which would have been a little unnerving for Barabbas. If that's the case, then when the soldiers appear at his cell moments later, and I don't think he felt relieved, this march from his cell into the open sky would have felt like some sort of march towards death for him. And then he's brought out into the morning sunlight, and he's not sentenced. What is he? He's released. He's let go. I'm sure it felt like a dream to him. You know, friends and family are there greeting him, gather around. He wants to be told, how did this, what's the story here? And so they tell him about how this man, Jesus, had been kept and sentenced so that he could be released. And you can almost hear Barabbas ask Jesus, what, what, did, what did Jesus do? And if his friends are honest, then, then what would they say? They say, well, we don't, we don't really know. I mean, as far as we could tell, in fact, he didn't do anything deserving death. He, Pilate even said that. He never did anything. Luke repeats the charge against Barabbas in verse 25. He reminds us of the same two things, that, that Barabbas is rightly in prison because he has led a rebellion and he has murdered someone. This man is rightly convicted, he is rightly jailed, and he will rightly receive a sentence. It is just. But now, Barabbas is free and Jesus, the innocent son of God, is condemned to death. Why would we stare and linger here at Barabbas? Why would we pause and contemplate this guy? I think it's because we are Barabbas. You know, he's not named in verse 25. It just says he released the man. Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison. I think that gives us even more of a reason to say, that's me. I am Barabbas. You know, you may have not started some sort of uprising against the government, but we are all rebels against God, aren't we? That's our natural bent. That's what we were born in. We rebel against God. We rebel against his authority. In our sin, we reject the rule of God, and we instead say that we will be king. We refuse the lordship of Christ, and we choose instead to exalt ourselves. God has said that he alone should be worshipped, and instead we worship idols of our hearts, and we worship ourselves. And in all of this, this self-rule, this rebellion, we make a complete 
mess of our lives. And the scripture tells us that the just and the right penalty for our sin is death. Because every sin that we commit is ultimately rebellion against God and he is right in condemning condemning us to death. Eternal death. So it's as it were that each of us sits in a prison like Barabbas. Condemned. Condemned to death because of our guilt. And you know, if God's Spirit opens our eyes, then we're able to see that that judgment against us is right. I, I don't know what Barabbas thought about his sentence. Maybe he, maybe he sat there and he knew he deserved whatever was coming to him. That he had led this revolt and he had murdered and he recognized it. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. What do you think about your sin? Do you agree with the judgment? Maybe you're like the, the prisoners in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Maybe you've seen that. Red, who's a veteran of Shawshank Prison, he, he asks one of these new inmates, Andy Dufresne, he asks him what he's, in, what he's in for, and Andy says he's in for murder, but he adds, but I'm innocent. And Red says, oh, you're going to fit in great here. Everybody's innocent. Maybe that's you. you know, you've explained away your guilt before God. You just say, I'm, I'm innocent. Or maybe you're more like Red. Because a little bit later in that scene, Andy asks Red, he says, what, what are you in for? And Red says, I'm here same as you, murder. And Andy says, innocent? And Red shakes his head and says, no, only guilty man in Shawshank. (laughs) You know, we're all sinners against God. And we can all explain away our guilt if we want to, but there's this grace, and it may not feel like grace when it comes, but there's the grace of God that opens our eyes to see that we are sinners, to see that we are Barabbas, that we deserve to be condemned for our sin, that the payment for our sin, the payment of death is just and it is right. It's what we deserve. And and when God reveals that to us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we are brought to the end of ourselves. We see that we have no hope. Barabbas has no hope in this prison of being released on his own by something he can do. And that's the grace of God that levels us and lays us flat and says, you have no hope. You are condemned. But when God does that to us, he also reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we see the greatest miscarriage of justice in history. The only purely, truly innocent person to ever walk the earth. Jesus never sinned Once, he was completely innocent of any crime. The only person that was truly innocent is condemned to death. While a man who is convicted as a criminal, as a revolutionary, as a murderer, is released. Jesus, who is the author of life, is sentenced to death. And Barabbas, a rebel who had taken another man's life, is let free. Do you see this? Luke 23:25 is the gospel. Look at it again. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. We are the guilty man, and Jesus is the saving substitute. Jesus has come to take our place. Jesus has come to bear our guilt and to take our punishment upon himself. 
when this trial and this, this conviction happens, it's totally unjust. And yet at the same time, it appeases the justice of God. God does not let sin go unpunished. But he pours out all his wrath against sin, and he pours it out on the sinless Son of God who took our sin upon himself. Two weeks ago we sang the song, And Can It Be, by Charles Wesley. Listen to one of the verses of that song. Wesley, speaking about salvation, says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. He draws this, this picture of being in a prison, in our sin and in, and in our nature, that we are fast bound in that. Then speaking to God, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light, that God sends this light to us and awakens us to our sin and our need of a Savior. And then he says, My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed the amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? This is the greatest news in the world, that Jesus has tasted death for us. That he's taken our sin upon himself. That he has paid the penalty for our sin. So that anyone who comes to him, not claiming innocence, not claiming perfection, not holding up our good works, but rather coming and admitting guilt, admitting that we are Barabbas. When we come like that and we put our trust in Christ and say, Jesus, you are the only one that is perfect. I need your righteousness. And you paid the penalty for my sin. I need your forgiveness. That when we come in humility and in faith like that, that we are forgiven. We are set free. 1 Peter 3.18. Here's your verse to meditate on this week. 1 Peter 3.18. Mark it down. Let's meditate on it. Let's memorize it. It says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let me read it again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, Barabbas and you and me, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is what God has willingly done for us in Christ. I think it's interesting in verse 25 it says that Pilate delivered Jesus over to their will, to the will of the crowd. And yet, in a sense, Jesus is willingly laying down his life. The crowd is responsible, but as Peter says in Acts 2, this was all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Any authority that Pilate or their crowd think that they have has been given by God. You remember earlier, what does Jesus say to the, to the elders? He says, I am exalted to the right hand of the Father. He essentially says, I am in the highest place of power. You have no control over me. I am exalted in this. And when Pilate says to him in John 19, he says, don't you know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you. You remember what Jesus says? Something Pilate had never heard before. That was probably one of his stock lines that he used all the time. Don't you know I have this authority? And what does Jesus say? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You don't have authority. Any authority you have is from God. Jesus was delivered over to the will of the crowd, but he was working out the will of God. Isaiah 53.10 says this, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus was condemned so that we, like Barabbas, might go free. Let me just give you two responses. If you don't know Christ, if you've never come in faith and repentance 
then you are in the dungeon of your sin. You are sentenced to eternal death. And your judgment is sure. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are rightly condemned. But Jesus has come. And he's come to see you released. He's come to take all your sin upon himself. To pay the penalty for that sin. And to give you forgiveness. If you would repent and believe. I invite you to do that this morning. And if you're a Christian, brothers and sisters in Christ, then we have been set free. We were imprisoned. We were without hope. We were on death row. And Jesus has come and he has rescued us at the cost of his life. How, how would Barabbas respond to that? I'm sure he was humble and I'm sure he was taken back. But I'm also sure that, that he was filled with joy. To live, and he was given freedom. And, and this is how our hearts need to respond to being set, set free. Our hearts be, would be filled with love for Christ as the one who has set us free, the one who has taken his, the penalty upon himself. We should give thanks to God for sending his son for our salvation. We should, we should proclaim to everyone else that we see trapped in this prison, listen, Jesus has come to set you free. You're, you're imprisoned and you're on death row, but Christ came. And he came so that you can be set free. And he did it at the cost of his life. So let's, if, if you are in Christ, I invite you, let's, let's live like condemned criminals who have been set free. And we've been set free to live as children of God. Let's do that in the strength that God would give us. Let me invite you to, Bow your heads and we'll just take a moment of silence here and reflect on God's word to us. And then I will we'll pray and we'll close in a song. But let's take a moment of silence and allow God's spirit to, to apply his word to our hearts. God, thank you for thank you for giving us this picture of Barabbas. But it and if you've opened our eyes to see sin, Lord, we thank you for that. As hard as that is, thank you for opening our eyes to Christ, that He has taken the penalty for our sin upon Himself, that He has died the death that we deserve. He has risen to give us new life. Lord, let us live like those who have been set free from sin. Let's not go back into that dungeon. Lord, I pray that you would help us to meditate on this week, help us to med meditate on these truths this week, help us to, to think that, that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for what he has done willingly for us. We pray it all in his name. Amen.